Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number, holy free holies, 400. Get them fart noises in. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Lorraine Sink, the originator of the sound. Yeah, you are. Uh, <laughs> Lorraine, we did it. We're at 400 episodes. I'm so proud of you, Ryan. I've only been here for a handful of these episodes. I mean, I've but I've seen many, many, many over the year. And you have been holding it down for, like, what, 16 decades? Yep. It is approximately 16 decades. No, when really? When did you start, though? Uh, So... 400 episodes is almost eight years. Uh, so eight years ago, so 2011. Almost, I'm going to just call it an almost decade. Yeah. That's a crap ton of episodes. So thank you, Ryan, for sticking with us. And thank you guys for listening with us um, for all of these many, many years. Heck yeah. And we've not missed a week. Uh, sometimes our episodes come out a couple days late. But every episode happens more or less when it's supposed to happen. What's been your favorite twim ever? Oh, man. I don't know. I forget a lot of things. <laughs> and we do so many. You know, it's like 400 numbered episodes, but you can't forget the 200.5 episodes or so that we did uh, that were just inter- straight interviews and then all the specials that we've done. So we're probably close to like six or 700 episodes. And I don't know. There's been so many. I, you know, maybe the Into the Spider-Verse one, just like that one. Yeah. Remind, like that was so recent, but also I love that movie so much and those folks were so great to talk to. Well, I just want to say that you're the Rihanna of Marvel Entertainment because you work, 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 work. I don't fully understand the reference, but I'm glad I'm here for it. It's a song. Great. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm just being honest with the listeners. Like, we don't have a crazy, wild surprise. It's not like a comic book where, you know, 400 is like 9,000 pages long and, like, you know, they're teeth in your comic. And you're like, oh, why did I get free teeth? Because it's an anniversary issue. Yeah, every anniversary issue gets free teeth and hair. <laughs> like the twin that your body didn't eat. Mm. Is just right? Yeah. Yeah. It's perfect. You know, let's talk about something less, less pleasant. Sure. Wait, more pleasant. There we go. That's yeah. what I'm aiming for. Tell me about... Tom Holland and Zendaya because you got to hang out with them on Marvel Live. Yeah, they were great. They were uh, guests uh, for a fun bit on Marvel Live, which was our second episode of this run. And I saw them previously in London for the Earth's Mightiest Show stuff that I did. Yeah. Uh, And they were really great. Yeah. Also, just kudos to Tom Holland on having the most perfect Queen's accent. It's my favorite thing. Like, I love him as Spider-Man. I think he brings this really sweet, genuine quality that you expect from Spider-Man. But I just love that he has this very slight Queen's accent because everyone who plays Spider-Man has like a really traditional sort of American Hmm. like newscaster, you know, standard American accent. And I just love that he's like a little bit from Queens. Just a little bit. He's real good. Yeah, he's real good. He's real good. Plus uh, the premiere. Yeah. The the live premiere in Hollywood, Hollywood Boulevard. We shut down the whole dang block, take it over, and uh, just hang out with Tom Holland and Zendaya and the crew. Yeah. It was was great. I just hung out a little bit, talked to some fans, got you some water, I'm sure. (laughs) Oh, my God. Will you be our our water boy for all future premieres? Only if I can do Adam Sandler's water boy accent from that movie. 
Is that, um, is that not problematic? Tri- Triple P has shook her head and said, nah, dog. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's going to be a no yeah. from Triple P. Uh, but the, the movie comes out just a couple days, July 2nd. I know there are going to be midnight screenings. I'm going to one at the Alamo Draft House in Yonkers. That is the biggest thing happening this week. On to the rest of the show. Our interview this week is with Ika Darville. That uh, was conducted by Jamie. She did it for us, which was awesome. Our correspondent to the stars. Yeah, baby. Because it's Marvel's Jessica Jones season three, fui, fui, fui. It's episode 400, so I can fui, fui, fui as much as I want. Yeah, legit. Um, you guys, if you're not already, go check out Marvel's Jessica Jones, now streaming only on Netflix, seasons one through three. That's three juicy, delicious seasons. Yeah. I actually got to go walk around the set. So surreal. What, to just be like at Jessica's house. What did you take? Um, I... She has coconut body wash, uh-huh. and I was like, I know what Jessica Jones smells like, so I just spritz some on, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like, and now I smell like a delicious Jessica Jones coconut. Fantastic. Covers up the other scent of regret. Yeah, you stank. It's gross. <laughs> Our producers are just giggling over <laughs> off to the side, but we got to move on to <laughs> the rest of the show, including things we're hyped about this week, comma, including news. So you've been hearing about the return of... Marvel Studios Avengers Endgame to theaters, and according to the press release, starting the day this episode releases Friday, June 28th, quote, participating theaters nationwide will hold a bring-back event for fans to see Marvel Studios Avengers Endgame one more time on the big screen before it finishes its theatrical run. Fans who buy a movie ticket will receive an exclusive piece of Avengers art available in select theaters and until supplies run out, and will also be treated to a video introduction by director Anthony Russo and an unfinished deleted scene from the film And it will be a chance for fans to get a head start on the upcoming Marvel Studios Spider-Man Far From Home via a special sneak peek. You got me. I'm going to go see it again. I got to know what that other content is. It will bother me. I'm a completist in my heart. So it's going to bother me if I don't go see it again. If it's not Korg and Meek just playing video (gasps) games for 45 minutes, mm, GTFO. Yeah. I'm, I'm honestly, I support that. Yeah. Also, hey, guess what? It's Pride Month! Yay! Yay! What about them fwees? Fwee, fwee, fwee! Pride! I'd wanted to do something fun here on TWIM. I know Ryan wanted to do something fun on TWIM. We all did. But we're traveling, and that makes it really, really hard. So instead, we have some cool stuff on the site. And other shows, like Women of Marvel has an awesome Pride huge episode where they're talking to a whole bunch of people celebrating this this month, this day. Judy Stevens leading the charge on all things rainbow hair and all things fun times pride. Do you have a favorite queer Marvel character? Um, I mean, America... She's she's dopest. She um, is the ill. How about Shade though? Shade's great. Um, our first drag queen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, because you know I love a drag queen. Also, America for life. Yeah, I, maybe North Star though, because oh, part he of what our first queer wedding. Yeah, and part of what I like is he's not like everybody's best friend. Mm-hmm. He is who he is, mm-hmm. and like unapologetic about being kind of an a-hole, uh, <laughs> but he's got amazing power set. He's Canadian. He's a dope character, very layered. And I, I just like the sense that yeah, he doesn't have to be like, oh, your best friend, you're, you know, your you're gay yeah. friend. No, he's just friggin' North Star. Deal with it. Yeah. And what about Kyle? His his boo. Such a sweet boo boy. Boo for life. So 
ship it, y'all. It's so nice. Uh, I love love. I love love as well. Uh, let's see. What else? We got to talk a little bit about San Diego Comic-Con because more details are starting to come in about exclusives and scheduling. I saw that uh, Hasbro has an exclusive Hulk figure. Everything we do will be Comic-Con real soon. Oh, yeah. Get ready. Uh, but we got to talk about this week in Marvel history. We are looking at June 28th through July 4th throughout our 80 years of history. Uh, first up, July 1st, 1959, Kathy number one comes out. She's the, quote, teenage tornado. And it's Stan Lee and Stan Goldberg doing one of the teen romance and sort of super fun books, very much an Archie Comics style book, but which is fun. And I, I thought of note here because Stan Goldberg was an incredibly important creator for Archie. So it really makes sense. Uh, and Kathy was... I think it ran for like 25, 30 issues or something like that, which is nothing to sneeze at, but we have such a great legacy of those types of books in the 50s and 60s. It was cool. When you said Kathy, this is not the Kathy, but I thought of Ack. <laughs> oh, bless. Mondays. Am I right? Chocolate. <laughs> the only way I can live. I'm a woman. Shoulder pads. Remember her shoulder pads? Oh, yeah. They were like... With shoulder pads and typewriters. Kathy, ah! <laughs> now that I'm, we're done burning Kathy. Um, <laughs> next up, July 3rd, 1962. Uh, Jane Foster debuts in Journey into Mystery number 84, right after the debut of Thor himself uh, by Stan Lee, Larry Lieber, and Jack Kirby. Uh, Jane's been a doctor. She's fought cancer. She's been... Thor, the one and only. Um, she's beat up the Mangog, who causes all kinds of Ragnarok all the time. And uh, we'll soon see Jane as the new Valkyrie in her own series. Fui, 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 fui. Yeah. I'm very excited for that. Um, loving it. We're going to get that blonde Valkyrie goodness <laughs> any minute now. I don't know. I just think of her. I think of Brunhilde, who's always sure. like, I am the Valkyrie in know. my mind. I don't think she has blonde hair in, no, she in this. She's, she she's, does not. She's a Bruni. That's what I call brunettes, right? Is that a thing? Bruni sounds like what you called Brunhilde, though. So it's uh, confusing. Um, what oh, if yes, Valkyrie is like, oh, it's me, Valkyrie. I come here to avenge. I'm going to get you now. It's me, Valkyrie. There's a character in the Wolfenstein 2 video game that sounds exactly like that. It's um, real messed up. It sounds very similar whenever I play Diablo 3. I, I have a big barbarian that yeah. is uh, named Gamora. And I am just like, it's me, Gamora. Now I get to fight you. Oh, why are all these men running from me? It's real fun. I have the, the female necromancer. So I just have like yeah. a cavalcade of skeletons behind me oh, at yeah, all yeah. times. And they're just like. Dah, rah, 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 rah. I love it. That's so fun. Uh, all right, let's move to July 2nd, 1963, because Avengers number one brings together Earth's Mightiest Heroes as a team to face foes that no single hero can tackle on their own. Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, and they bring the thunder. Classic. Huge, huge issue. Yeah, and the first foe ever, Loki. Yep. What a wild guy. What a he, cat. He turns the flipping city to ice cream, and the Avengers <laughs> are like, okay. <laughs> um, uh, delightful. Same week, X-Men number one, also by Stanley and Jack Kirby. Uh, just a reminder that this issue includes the first appearances of Professor Xavier, Magneto, Jean Grey, Cyclops, Beast, Iceman, Angel, Xavier School, and the Danger Room. Think about that. Avengers number one and X-Men number one by the same creative team the same day. That's Wild. Can you imagine if anything in their week went differently? How different the Marvel Universe would be? Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. 
Like oh. if if Stan would have had a cold and called out, we might be talking about the Bee Men right now. Oh boy, I gotta go. <laughs> uh, all right. Also that week, Porcupine debuts in a story by Stanley and Ernie Hart in Tales to Astonish number forty eight. Porcupine's costume is, is great, ridiculous, and I love it. I live for him um, and Spider Woman. Um, Different Porcupine? No, same. Okay. Um, did you ever watch the state television yeah, show? Yeah, baby! Do you know the uh, Porcupine Racetrack skit? Oh, I don't know if I porcupine, do. Porcupine, Porcupine, Porcupine oh, Racetrack, yeah, Porcupine, Porcupine, Porcupine Racetrack, watch them little porkies <laughs> run. It's you think it best. every time, do you? I Literally every time I see Porcupine in a comic, I think of Porcupine Racetrack, which is the greatest musical ever created. And finally, same day, Fantastic Four Annual Number 1 is a namerific issue by, you guessed it, Stanley and Jack Kirby. Just, like, but how? 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 Pure fortitude. Man. And, I don't know, maybe a healthy breakfast? Yeah. Balanced, nutritional, I don't know. Mm. Next up, July 2nd of 1964, Fantastic Four Annual Number 2 gives us the first origin of Doctor Doom, our best friend, uh, as well as the true first reveals of Latveria and its capital city, Doomstadt. Doomstadt. Yeah, Doomstadt. Everybody in Doomstadt loves a doom. Let's go shopping in Doomstadt. Do they sound like that? Uh, I don't know. The I, Balkans? I, yeah, I feel like they're they're further east, maybe. Let us go shopping in Doomstadt. There we go. Yeah. That honestly, that's a little seems more, more like that. Well, also you think about Doom essentially like saving the world and becoming kind of a god to his people, and the p- people of that area love Doom. Yeah. But I feel like they all have to have his same sort of like, yes, Doom. Yes, we all ate dirt before Doom. <laughs> Right? Yeah, 100%. Right. Oh, and Cerebro was first introduced in X-Men number 7. Yeah. These are early 60s. I love the details so that I find. Next up, baby, June 30th of 1966, Ego the Living Planet debuts in one of the coolest last page first appearances ever in the first story in Thor number 132. The whole issue is weird Kirby and crew Thor space stuff. Love it. Getting into the weird 60s. But that last page is yeah, uh, it's one of Jack's mixed media collage pages, and it looks unlike anything else around. It's glorious. And then the next issue, we learn more about ego, which is crucial. But I love those sort of collagey pages yeah. that feel like newsprinty. Like they're so cool. Yeah. Like I was rereading this issue, and, and you get to that last page, and it like it hits you in the face of just so different and weird and cool. And like he had this way of saying, "Oh, this should really like." shift your brain like you're reading a comic reading a comic and then you see this and it's just otherworldly because there's you know like that was a way to show you that this was something beyond the normal senses and i feel like that kind of art affected zine culture for decades mm. yeah yeah i mean he he affected a lot there's like a whole study on how that affected advertising oh yeah uh, kirby's art yeah it's, it's really neat June 29th, 1967, I find it fitting that on an epic anniversary numbered episode, we get to celebrate the true first full appearance of MODOK, a.k.a. the greatest character in comic book history, Tales of Suspense number 94. This is the issue with, quote, if this be MODOK on the cover. The previous issue gave us a little cameo taste of my sweet, sweet baby boy, George Tarleton. And we mentioned it earlier in June, but this is the real deal. Just think, MODOK's going to have his own series on the Hulu soon. Everything is possible. Everyone's dreams can come true. You can 
believe in yourself and like Modoc, maybe you'll have a TV show. Maybe you'll be the greatest character ever. It's all it's all it's all out there. I'm happy that it makes you happy. It makes me so happy. I was in my cupboard this weekend and I was getting a cup for uh, coffee and I pulled a cup away and the mug that I have here at work, my Modoc mug, I have another one and it just like sort of smiled at me and it was sitting in my cupboard. I was like, you're always waiting for me, Modoc. The, the hilarious thing is his mouth is literally a smile upside down. He is gritting his teeth angrily and you absorb it as that's my special boy. Yeah. And you know what? That makes me happy. Big old kissable lips. Just tiny little arms. Doesn't even have lips. He does have very tiny huggable arms. Yeah. You, you have to wanna, do the hard work of the hug, though. You, you want to tickle his feet and then he can't like stop you. He can't bat your arm away because his arms are too short. And he's like, ha, 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 ha. Yeah. What a horrible nightmare. All right. Next up, July 3rd, 1973, Santana, the sister of Damon Helmstrom. Santana. You said Santana. Carlos Santana, the sister of Damon Helmstrom. (laughs) Yep, Santana. um, It's a hot one. (laughs) Okay, next up. July 3rd, 1973, Satana, the sister of Damon Hellstrom, debuts in Vampire Tales number two. And hey, speaking of people that are getting shows, those Hellstroms are going to strum it out. Yep. I don't know if we're calling her Satana, but she'll always be Satana in my heart. Yep. Yep. Who doesn't love Satana? The... All hail Satana. <laughs> Just kidding, guys. Don't at me. <laughs> All right. Next up, June 29th, 1982, Yukio makes her first appearance in Wolverine Number 2 by Chris Claremont and Frank Miller. Uh, she's a badass ninja slash ronin slash thief slash troublemaker. Um, Storm and Yukio uh, had some really cool connections as well. Yukio even made it to the big screen a few times. Yeah, there's young Yukio is Negasonic Teenage Warhead's Warhead. girlfriend mm-hmm. in Deadpool 2, but there's an older Yukio in The Wolverine, I believe. Um, yes. And Yukio is awesome. She's like the coolest character. There's always been some debate as to whether Yukio and Storm were friends or were getting down. Um, I don't know. But I have, you know. have Ship it. Yeah, I would ship it. Yeah. She's awesome. They're two thieves and they're just like hanging out and like, yeah, you're great. Yeah. Let's, let's do it. Um, July 2nd. July 2nd. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> July 2nd, 1985, the Serpent Society and Diamondback first appear in Captain America number 310 by Mark Grunewald and Paul Neary. Just anytime I get to celebrate Mark Grunewald and his contributions to the Marvel Universe makes me happy. Plus, Diamondback, she's awesome. Yeah, snakes. Snakes on a... A comic book. On a comic book. There we go. And last but not least, July 3rd, 2014, the Amazing Spider-Man film lands in theaters. But not last because July 2nd, 2019, Spider-Man Far From Home hits theaters. I'm putting that in there because we, we added X-Men Dark Phoenix. I like I, add, I like adding these like pivotal current things. Okay. <laughs> Next up, top books from this week's episode of Marvel's The Pull List. Tell us what it is. All right. We've got Fantastic Four, number 11, Spider-Man Annual, number one, War of the Realms, number six, and War of the Realms Punisher, number three. Uh, and just to, you know, if you need another reason to listen to Marvel's The Pull List, we do use the term, and by we, I mean me, use the term big beefy boy to talk about cable. Ah, uh, the three Bs. Yeah. You guys should subscribe to Marvel's Pull List wherever you get your podcasts and watch video versions on Marvel.com so you can get all of the latest, greatest stuff about all of the comic books in the Marvel Universe every dang week. Yeah. 
And while you are listening to the show or maybe reading some comics, you should uh, enjoy some treats from our advertiser this week, M&M's, because they got that new hazelnut spread. Good. That's good. Um, It's a delicious combo of hazelnut spread and milk chocolate, and it's delicious and I want to eat it. Yeah. Seriously. This is like the fourth time they've advertised on the show. I do not have a bowl of M&M's sitting in front of us. What is going on? I think Triple P just doesn't want us to crunch in the mic because I feel that we would eat them the whole time. Oh, yeah. That's probably true. But, you know, this is super fun because this is something brand new for M&M's. They're putting hazelnut spread inside M&M's chocolate candy. So if you love either of those things, they're now together. What are you trying together? It's going to blow your mind. Then you're going to fall down. Then you're going to get back up and you're going to put your hand in a bag of these uh, little hazelnut delicious treats and then just sprinkle them all over your face. I'm so hungry now. I know. I um I actually had hazelnut spread in my wedding cake, so this speaks to me on a deeper level. That's what? how committed I am to it. Uh, Delish. Yeah. Once again, thank you to M&M's for advertising on the show. Uh, we got to get into our interview right now, which is with Ika Darville from Marvel's Jessica Jones Season 3. Jamie Feverly did this interview. And of course, where can we watch Marvel's Jessica Jones. You can watch Marvel's Jessica Jones season one through three now streaming only on Netflix. And if you don't know Ikadarville by name, you definitely know him by character. He plays Malcolm. Last season, he was BFS with Jessica, helping her out with the detective agency. Now he's working for a law firm. Stuff's getting shady. Yeah. I mean, it's good, though. You think of his progression from season one where he was, he was really strung out on yeah. drugs. Yeah. <laughs> and now he's like turning his life around. Yeah. It's great. I love, I love too, that they deal with his addiction in different ways, like how he found, how he became clean, and now he relies on other things like working out and doing other stuff to, like, ground him. Yeah, it's pretty good. All right, let's go now to our interview. Ika Darvel from Marvel's Jessica Jones, thank you so much for joining us on This Week in Marvel. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. So this is the third and final season of Marvel's Jessica Jones. Malcolm has come such a long way since we first met him in season one of the show. He's been brainwashed, addicted, heartbroken, and beaten up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the typical Marvel life. Yeah. Um, so how much are his past struggles part of his present in the third season? And how much fun has this been for you? Wow, that's a lot of questions right there. I think, um, yeah, so the, the beaten up, heartbroken, all of that seems to come with the territory of being in the uh, Jessica Jones world. And in terms of fun, uh, I can say as an actor, it's been the most fun I've ever had coming to work. It's uh, the work that I'm most proud of to date. And the character's arc is just so broad of like who we, I got to play in season one versus who uh, I got to play in season two and now season three are uh, also vastly different and evolved from each step that uh yeah it's 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 a dream come true as an actor to get to to play a character that goes through such great leaps uh in his evolution so uh, on the fun tip i'll give a little uh, a tidbit from from set was i think it was my 26th birthday i spent on a frozen paver with like prosthetic nose makeup and blood frozen and caked to my face um, 
Yeah, at like four in the morning on one of the, it was literally one of the coldest nights that New York had on record. And um, yeah, and I was just like lying, just shivering on a paver and there was a dead pigeon in the gutter next to me. And I just, oh no. And, and nobody knew it was my birthday. And I just remember going, wow, this is, this is not as glamorous as I thought this thing would be. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it's been fun and challenging as as comes with the territory. I was going to ask you if you got to do anything new and different this season playing Malcolm, but I think interacting with dead pigeons with fake blood <laughs> attached to your face is pretty <laughs> not run of the mill for a typical day on the set. Yeah, well, this season was 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 hugely different from the first season. I mean, we had Malcolm as a uh, a write-off heroin addict in the first season who was dealing with all the different psychologies and pathologies that come with addiction. Yeah, and then in this season, I mean, I'm, I'm getting around in Gucci and Saint Laurent and and oh, yeah. taking names. So it's it's a, a very, very different experience and, and equally as challenging, but for completely different reasons. Yeah, I was going to say the relationship between Malcolm and Jessica has been, to say the least, fraught, but yet they keep finding their way back to each other, even though he's been working with Jerry Hogarth and rocking the Gucci and everything. <laughs> Um, what has it been like to play a character whose dynamic has changed so much with Jessica Jones, the lead character? I mean, Jessica and Malcolm's relationship is family. He's, he's, uh, metaphorically and kind of literally her little brother. And so it's, it's appropriately fraught. I think one of my favorite sayings is if you think you found enlightenment, go spend a week with your family. Um, <laughs> And I think the same that that definitely applies with regard to Malcolm and Jessica of of that their relationship has been tenuous and uh, volatile and there's been push and pull. But through all of that, it's the love is always there as it is with with family. So, yeah, it's been it's as an actor. I mean, everything is relationship. The playing relationships is what the whole acting game is about and to get to play relationships that change and evolve and go through struggles and challenges that's that's what brings me the most joy as an actor so yeah it's been it's been incredible and uh extremely exciting and challenging at times and and grateful for the whole experience it feels like there's probably a lot of really great give and take between you and Kristen Ritter too, because it, it's at the same time while she, while Jessica is a very toxic person, she's probably brought out so much of Malcolm's natural talents because Malcolm becomes an investigator all by himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she can be a very toxic person, but I also think that she's uh, been a, a really positive influence on Malcolm in a lot of senses. That he's learnt kind of everything that he knows with regard to being an investigator and, and uh, kind of beating him down off of his high horse of the black and white way of viewing the world into a bit more of a grey realm of, of adulthood um, through working with her. So, and I mean, Kristen is a, a force of nature in every sense. She's um, such an incredible actress to watch work. Um, and so I, as Ika Darville, has also learnt a ton from watching Kristen Ritter as well as Malcolm watching JJ do her thing. So, yeah, the push and pull, the give and the take in it all has been um, one of the most rewarding creative partnerships that I've been involved in. So speaking of partnerships and also some push-pull, uh, Malcolm is also working with Jerry Hogarth, as I mentioned. <laughs> Do you? This, these are two very different, but both very complicated women. And what I think is so fascinating about Malcolm too is that before he was troubled 
by Kilgrave. He was a social worker. Yeah, he was a social worker. And um, yeah, and and now he's working for Jerry Hogarth after working for Jessica Jones. And uh, it's 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 kind of funny. I always I, <laughs> people ask the question of like, what is it that Malcolm has with uh, always working with these powerful women? And my, my short answer to that is uh, he has mommy issues. <laughs> and, <laughs> Um, I was I was gonna say I promise I had a direction with that question. I was gonna say how does does Malcolm feel equipped, especially to deal with women like this or people like this? Really? Um, yeah, I mean, I think his social work background has given him uh, uh, he like has the compassion aspect of the equation down pat. It's the ambition piece is the more interesting one that. Um, I think is more relevant to why he keeps going after and surrounding himself by these these incredibly powerful women who also sometimes are very toxic but quietly ambitious. And um, the way I describe it is like it's it's like the the guy who wants to be a pro surfer who ends up always just dating surfers but never actually goes surfing himself, or the or the girl who <laughs> uh, has secret ambitions of being a musician and doesn't actually play any instrument but just ends up dating musicians her whole life and Malcolm's kind of like that of I think he he plays this um this toned down kind of social worker role in things because he is genuinely compassionate but I do feel like there is a real ambition there and the reason why he uh, surrounds himself with with people like Jerry and and Jessica is because he secretly wants to be powerful he he what they have is what he wants for himself and and so he's trying to learn that by uh, watching these women do their thing do you think he also wants to achieve that kind of power by not doing what they do? Yeah, I, I think he, he thinks that might be possible. Um, he hasn't seen that uh, modeled very well. And so he's kind of fumbling not so gracefully in terms of figuring out how that looks and what's authentic to him in terms of his ambition and how can he have, uh, have the compassion piece and do good in the world, but then also... Uh, carve out a space for himself where he feels respected and yeah and I, th I feel like that's a struggle that we can all relate to I, I certainly can as as an actor and as somebody who sometimes struggles with the the like selfishness of of acting it's a very it's almost the most self-absorbed path that you can you can pick it's so I have to be so aware of everything that's going on within myself and it's really, at the end of the day, it's it's me alone that has to do it. And then the other part of me is is I'm an activist. I care deeply about many, many things from social justice to environmental justice and and that's a push and pull that, that, that exists within me. And so I feel like um, the, the struggle that Malcolm is dealing with is very familiar. And some, yeah. yeah. Among his struggles as someone who works for Jerry Hogarth as an investigator is some morally questionable things. Can you... <laughs> so, to say the least. <laughs> to say the least. Do you want to go into those? Maybe talk about how Malcolm reacts to this, what he ultimately decides to do, how you felt about playing those out. Oh, yeah. Um, Again, that was a really interesting dynamic where as a character, that's super challenging. But as an actor, 
going to those dark places is super rewarding. That's like I haven't played a character in before where I'm getting to really dive into the juicy bits of of that um, fraught human psychology of, yeah, questionable choices and how do you deal with that and reconcile that. So, yeah, I, I, he, I mean, the, the big one is essentially being the catalyst for um, Kith's husband to take his own life. And that was really, um, yeah, I mean, that, that, that was, it's just, it's dark. It's dark on the, on, even for Jessica Jones, it's dark. And, and that was definitely a hard one. Like when I read the script on that, I was like, ooh, wow, Malcolm, I don't know if you can come back from this. Like that's, <laughs> that's, 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 that's kind of like, that's really pushing the limits on, on what's okay and what is, yeah, where he's kind of moved from the light to being kind of wholeheartedly squarely positioned in the, in the dark side, um, so to speak. And yeah, all of that is a long, very long way to say that, yes, he goes, uh, he goes off the rails in a big way this season and then I feel like kind of reins it in through the back half. Does he feel like, do you think, that he goes as far as Jerry or Jessica would go and f- has some regret about that? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, he has deep regret about a lot of things and definitely about that. I think he finds his edge Um Jerry obviously has an edge that's a lot further out than than him and her moral compass is is infinitely more flexible and uh for Jessica I feel like she has a pretty clear version of her right and wrong it's not maybe a viewpoint that's shared by the rest of society but for her it doesn't waver a whole lot whereas I feel like for Malcolm he's really kind of testing the waters if he'll do something and go like take stock of it after and be like okay wow um was that too far yep I think that was and let's like where where do I find my happy medium with what I'm willing to do in order to get to where I want to be and his relationship with Zaya plays a huge role in that because uh, a lot of what he's trying to do is essentially trying to prove himself again to yet another woman. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, and I feel like he he gets there. He gets there to a point where he can have a lot more compassion for these people that he's trying to help because he has lived and made some of the choices, the questionable choices that they have made and therefore can can help them from a less kind of uh, high horse pious place. I have to imagine that as an actor, I feel like in any creative field, when it, whether they're a writer, a songwriter, an actor, a musician, whether whenever they take themselves to a dark, dark place like that, how long does it haunt you? <laughs> I still have flashbacks from season one of Jessica Jones. I, oh, my <laughs> that was yeah, it was brutal. Like the the addiction stuff was brutal. I um, yeah found some very dark corners of the internet to find out exactly what the physiological processes are of of detoxing from heroin and oh, and yeah. um, and. Yes, but like, because it's 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 very formulaic. Of at the seventy second hour, there's like very specific things that happen physiologically and whatnot. And so, um, yeah, like to replicate that, I was snorting saline solution, and mm. um, so I always had a running nose. But it would just like kind of made me feel foggy and groggy, and I was doing that through all of that heroin stuff. Yeah, and then I I 
I just kind of played around with it because like for me it was um it was a real challenge to be playing a character that is so societally shunned and as a young black man of it's there's such a strong judgment against oh he's like the the addict whatever like and yeah so to play that was really a personal uh, stretch for me and one that I'm really really grateful for like one day I while we were shooting in Union Square on lunch I just went off and pretended to be homeless and and put a hat out and was just like just to get an experience of what that is and just what people watch of just saying like how people treat you if they assume that you are broke if you've made bad choices in your life if you look a particular way and uh yet they have no idea who that who I am or, or or the fact that I'm probably making more money than them <laughs> to, to lie there on the street. Yeah, and it was really, really interesting. It was a really interesting study in human psychology just to see who and uh, who who judges you and who writes you off and who has compassion and the different reactions and the the shame from other people of like looking at me in that position and um yeah and for me it was just a, a really powerful exercise in compassion of for people that are homeless of understanding that they they have stories that are deeply interesting and and yeah that that was like a huge gift that came from it and then to kind of finish the season where every single day for work i'm i'm rocking up to set with twenty thousand dollars worth of suit on and <laughs> and just to see the opposite of that of like who how people treat you when uh there's like an assumed air of power and of them kind of like kowtowing and kind of again acting differently towards me just because of the way I'm dressed and so uh, on a personal level the the playing the diverse arc of Malcolm has been yeah hugely rewarding and I've learned a lot about humanity and about myself through the process. Wow and by the end of the series Malcolm takes over Alias he takes over Alias Investigations. He does it's mine it's yours you got it <laughs> deep from the murky depths he rose yeah. <laughs> and then he took over alias investigations so let's have a little fun with that what kind of cases do you think malcolm would be investigating do you think he'd be looking into somewhat super powered cases or maybe a little more run-of-the-mill stuff in your head where do you think malcolm would be going with that I I think he has been through so much that he is very well equipped to be running Alias and and to make good choices both financially and uh, morally and ethically for what the firm should do. I think he's definitely super deep on and one of the few people that has a very intrinsic understanding of the whole superhero world and and so I'm sure I think he's definitely going to be going after those cases and specialising in that. Um, because it's an asset that he has for the company. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I, I also think that he's going to do a bunch of the, of the pro bono, good God's work, quote-unquote, the real kind, and, yeah, really make an effort to really help people. So uh, I don't think Alias could have landed in better hands. And in my version of, of the, the story... 
after whatever adventure, like maybe Jessica goes and does Vipassana out in Joshua Tree for uh, <laughs> a week and does a silent retreat and comes back and runs Alias with him. So <laughs> I feel like she lasts five minutes. <laughs> she can't even go to the beach really without yeah, exactly. getting involved in something. Exactly. Um, I feel like also since Alias Investigations is part of the Marvel Netflix universe and always kind of will be in our, you know, head cannons <laughs> as the fanfic kids say. Yeah. Um Malcolm has worked with other or at least encountered other members of the Marvel Netflix universe. Do you which one of those you've worked with Foggy Nelson a little bit? Well, mm-hmm. Malcolm has worked with Foggy Nelson a little bit from yes. Marvel's Daredevil. Yes, I have. Were there other characters in that universe that you would have liked to explore? Oh, definitely. I mean, uh, technically, we're part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is which is really yes. really like awesome and kind of super sad because it means that I can't really be anything else in that universe. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, in terms of the Marvel Netflix collab, I feel like. I would have loved to jump over onto Luke Cage for a minute. Um, there was conversations about that happening at some point, but unfortunately uh, things unfolded the way they did and, and uh, I never got to have a chance to do that. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's just some powerhouse individuals who are on that who I've look up, looked up to for a long time in the industry and, and wanted to work with. So, um yeah, uh, that would be that would be the the big one for me that I would have loved to go and do. I don't know what Malcolm would have done in Daredevil, um, other than maybe hang out with Foggy and 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 shoot the. Sh- but um, <laughs> yeah, I I, I uh, yeah I, I'll leave it at those two. If only there could be like a web series just continuing that, like the Foggy Malcolm lunches, <laughs> where they just chill, hang out, get sandwiches, and uh, talk about brilliant. the crazy stuff they've seen. Yeah, yeah, that would be a podcast I'd listen to. Oh man, it, conversations now, I'm with just Foggy gonna and Malcolm. To, <laughs> I'm just gonna have to go home and write it myself. That seems like a really fantastic place to end, and. It's been such a pleasure to hear you talk about Malcolm as a character and you, Ika, playing him as, as an actor and a human being. And this, I feel like this is one of the most magical things that Marvel gets to do is bring characters like this to life in the superhero universe. And uh, if I could get one last thought from you, how has this affected your view on the superhero genre? Huh. Um... I think Jessica Jones was revolutionary within the superhero genre in general because it doesn't feel like anything else that is in that world. Like the Guardians of the Galaxy are off literally trying to save and protect the galaxy and we're like just trying to survive on our little kind of block in in New York. And it's just so grounded and gritty and, and real and dealing with like real life big issues. And um, yeah, I, th- I think that it validated the superhero uh, genre in a sense that it can, you can make, uh, you can say big things within a world that is essentially fantasy. Except for the dead pigeons. Except for the dead pigeons. Yeah. We, I'm, <laughs> I'm gratefully finished with New York dead pigeons. <laughs> <laughs> they are also finished for different reasons. <laughs> Nico, yeah. it was such a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, this was so much fun for me. I hope you had as much fun as I did. Absolute joy. Thank you so much for having me. 
All right, big thanks to Ika and Jamie for uh, chatting on the show this week. Uh, we've got to move on to the community section. Uh, first things first, though, we need a question of the week for this week's episode. So how about we ask, what are y'all's favorite Spider-Man movie moments? Yeah. Uh, you got a lot of movies to choose from. There's three, five, seven. No. Yeah, seven movies. And I challenge you to gif it. Ooh. Right? I want to see a gif and a tweet. It makes me feel good. Yeah. And you can even throw in the other movies that Spidey's appeared in. So, you know, your Civil War, your Avengers yeah. films, all that good stuff. Oh, him taking the Captain America shield? Iconic. Yeah. Oh. All right. So that's your question of the week. Make sure you use hashtag This Week in Marvel or your email them to twinpodcast at marvel.com or you send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash This Week in Marvel. We got to get to the community now. So Robert Captain Rogers forty four says, "Darn you, Marvel season three of Marvel's Jessica Jones was so good, and that tease at the end. Why? I'm glad we got three great seasons of her and all the episodes of the other Defenders, but I just wish this wasn't the end. I can only hope that maybe it's not." Oh, hmm. hmm. love, love. Yeah. The Tech Lord says, last week's This Week in Marvel of the Week was a tough one to call. Punisher number 12 was beautifully brutal. Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man number 7 has social impact that was equally brutal, but Superior Spider-Man number 7 with West Coast Avengers guest starring was the full package. Yeah, love a good full package. Karis Pollard tweets us and says, so this week in Marvel of the Week goes to Captain Marvel. The humor in this was amazing. The jokes and the artwork, the concept, the way they win in the end, just the whole thing. Superb work from Kelly Thompson, Anna Paolo Martella, and Tamara Bonvalin. Just look and giggle at these, and then she shares a couple of pictures. Yeah. yeah. Rafe B says, since Supitaman is part of an alternate dimension to the 616 universe and Battle Fever J is also a Toei slash Marvel collab, does that mean Battle Fever J and, by extension, all Super Sentais are part of the big Marvel universe? I've, believe me, I've thought about this numerous times because I love Super Sentai and I love Spider-Man so much. No. But I will tell you this. If you throw an outfit at me, it'll magically appear on my body <laughs> like Spider-Man. You bet. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, all right. Last one for the week is from Dan Everett. He says, been looking forward to the Thwippin' Through the 90s episode. This is where I started as a Marvel reader at the young age of eight or nine. All the nostalgia. That's what we're here for. Give yeah. you fun episodes. Drive that nostalgia and have a good time. Here's to 400 episodes more. Um, 400 more. 400 uh, more. Uh, uh, I do want to say big thanks to Ben Morse, Blake Aww. Garris, um, who else has been a huge part of the Alex show? Alex Lopez sometimes. Alex Lopez, Mark Strom, Christine Din, of course. Uh, Jamie Frevely. Jamie Frevely, Brandon, Persia, Becca, Lorraine, James. I'm sure I missed some people who have contributed. We've had tons of interns. Tucker started out here doing a terribly offensive Italian accent uh, and so much more. What about Arun Singh? Remember Arun, him? Arun might have been on an episode or two. Maybe. Just crash it up. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But it's been great. So thank you all for listening. And so many listeners will tell me, hey, I just started episode number one. Please don't do that. <laughs> don't start at one. You can start wherever you want. But one was really bad. Now we're, we're doing pretty okay now. Get, it, get into more recent years when podcasting equipment got better. <laughs> yeah. And we had actual staff to help with this. Anyway, we got to go. We've got more stuff to produce. Uh, we'll see you next week. I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. And this is Marvel. Your universe. <laughs>